Welcome to week eight of our series, Flip the Script. And uh, today is my last, uh, last message in the series. Next week, Pastor Mike will be uh, bringing our Flip the Script series to an end. Um, in this series, we have been talking about the biblical idea that God wants to take your life from where it is now and make it into something better. Through the power of God, we can take one kind of life and we can exchange it for another. We can trade darkness for life. We can trade death for, for life. We can trade hopelessness for confident expectation, anxiety for trust, spiritual thirst for satisfaction. God wants to make your life better. He wants to take away your guilt and replace it with forgiveness. He wants to exchange your hatred for love. He wants to shift your path from heading toward judgment to heading toward reward. So we've called our series Flip the Script uh, because to flip the script is to reverse the expected, usual, and existing positions in a situation to do something unexpected or revolutionary. And God wants to flip the script in your life. He wants to do something unexpected and revolutionary in you. God wants your life to be exceptional. He does not want you to be normal. His plans for your life reverse the expected trajectory and put you on a new course that leads to the abundant life. So what about you? That's what God wants for you, but what about you? Are you satisfied with a run-of-the-mill, ordinary life of survival? Or do you want a great life of adventure, meaning, and accomplishment? The memory verse challenge we just did uh, is from Jesus' teaching on this subject. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So Jesus is using a, uh, a uh, shepherding metaphor here. The idea is that he is providing safety, security, and abundance. His people will come in and go out and find pasture. And he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In the ESV translation, it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that abundant life, having life to the full, that is what God wants for you. He wants you to live life to the full. Carpe diem sees the day. Jesus offers you the abundant life. We are not made to just get by from day to day and make it to the end of the week and pay our bills and survive. That is not the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. God wants your life to be extraordinary, abundant, and full. Do you believe that? Are you living for that? God wants your life to be extraordinary. We've looked at quite a few ways uh, in this series that God wants to flip the script in your life. Today, our topic 
is one of the biggest changes that God wants to make in your life. He wants to take you from a directionless life of meaningless existence to a life of fulfilling purpose and meaning. So here's what the Bible says about life without acknowledging God's purposes. This is from the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. It says, I, the teacher, was king over, Jeru- over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. So this king, he refers to himself as the teacher, and he was a king of a prosperous nation. And he set out to discover where true meaning in life could be found. He says, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? He goes on to say that he tried drinking, partying, all those things, and he found laughing, drinking, dancing, having a good time, pointless. No value, no purpose. Then he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. So here he decides, uh, okay, just uh, having fun is not satisfying. I'm going to pour myself into my work. And so he takes on all these big projects. And as a king of a prosperous nation, he's able to accomplish some pretty big things. He's building things and creating things, and, uh, and he's pretty impressive. But none of it was satisfying or meaningful. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. All of his accomplishments, all of his pleasures, his great projects, his harem, his wisdom, his learning, his wealth, all ends at death. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So what's the point? So that is what the author of Ecclesiastes thinks about life apart from God. But modern scientific atheists have actually come to pretty much the same conclusion. I uh, did a little uh, Google searching on the meaning of life to see what I could find, and I found a great interesting article on a website called Psychology Today, Pretty sure this used to be a magazine, but now I think it's just a website. Anyway, uh, Psychology Today, a scientific magazine, uh, article written by a professor from the University of Nottingham. It's titled, The Meaning of Life Revealed, Evolution and the Ultimate Purpose of Life. And the article is basically taken from his book, which is called Darwin, God, and the Meaning of Life. 
And here's what he has to say. He says, evolutionary theory answers one of the most profound and fundamental questions human beings have ever asked themselves. A question that has plagued reflective minds for as long as reflective minds have existed in the universe. Why are we here? The question was answered in 1859 by the English naturalist Charles Darwin. And the answer can be stated in just six words. We are here because we evolved. And then he goes on to talk about why, okay, so maybe that's not the kind of answer that you were looking for, not very satisfying. And he uh, goes on in the article, he finally comes to his conclusion. He says, we are not here for any purpose. If we're interested in the question of whether life is ultimately meaningful, rather than whether it's potentially emotionally meaningful, well, after Darwin, there is no reason at all to suppose that it is. There is no reason to assume that life has any ultimate meaning or purpose. And he goes on to argue that whether you find this depressing has no bearing on the fact that it's true. Life is ultimately meaningless. From an evolutionary perspective, we are the result of a long series of random events. You are here completely by arbitrary accident. There is no purpose or meaning. Now, I applaud this guy, Mr. Uh, Dr. Stuart Williams, for his honesty. I uh, completely agree that the conclusion is inevitable. If there is not a God who created us for a purpose, then there is no purpose, and we might as well come to grips with the fact that nothing you do matters. But here's the good news, is that God does exist, and he did create the universe for a purpose, and he created humanity for a very important, noble, and meaningful purpose. And he has revealed that purpose to us in the Bible. Because, you see, uh, as the William Wallace character in Braveheart put it, all men die, but not all men truly live. And if you want to truly live, you need to live for the true purpose for which God created you. That is the way to true life. That is the way to the abundant life that Jesus wants for you. In one of the great poems of the Bible, it tells us, uh, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. See, not only was humanity in general purposefully created by God, uh, but each one of us was planned by God and specially created by him. You are not an accident. God had a purpose for you when he formed you in your mother's womb. In another place, God says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by na my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And God tells us here why he created us. It was for his glory. 
God created us so that we could bring glory to him. In fact, all of creation exists for the purpose of bringing glory to God. So what do we mean by that? What is the glory of God? In one sense, the, the glory of God is who God is. It's the essence of his nature. The weight of his importance, the the demonstration of his power, God's glory is the expression of his goodness and all his other intrinsic, eternal qualities. And for us, you know, we live here in Alaska, especially on a beautiful day like this, it's easy for us to see the glory of God all around us in the beauty of his creation. He has made things beautiful to show his glory. The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. God's inherent glory is what he possesses because he is God. It is his nature. And we don't actually add anything to his glory when we say we're going to glorify God. It's not like we're making him more glorious. He already is. But we are made to recognize his glory, honor his glory, praise his glory, reflect his glory, and live for his glory. Now, why is that a good purpose for our lives? Why should we do that? It's because God deserves it. Uh, This is the verse we already saw a few minutes ago, but here it is again. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. He is the great creator who made everything that exists. He is the powerful, wise, loving, great God, and we praise and glorify him because he is worthy of praise and glory. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is a summary of Christian theology written to help us to grasp the core teachings of the Bible. It's written in a question and answer format, and uh, it asks questions, then gives answers from the Bible. One of the more famous uh, sections from that is question number one, which says this. uh, Question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So, okay, all of this is pretty high-level theological uh, facts and things, glorify God, uh, uh, our chief end is to bring him glory and all that, Uh, but, but how does this theoretical theology work itself out in practical living? In other words, what, uh, if our purpose is to bring glory to God, how do we do that? How do we go about bringing glory to God? Well, there's many ways that we can bring glory to God, but they can be summarized in uh, God's five purposes for your life. And uh, these five purposes have been described for me. I learned about them and, uh, uh, from this book right here, The Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Rick Warren, a very uh, highly recommended book on uh, understanding your purpose and, uh, and what it is that we should be living for and how we should be living for God. Uh, if you have not yet read this book, I, I highly, highly recommend that you read this book. If you have already read this book, I recommend that you read it again. I've been through it maybe a half a dozen times or so. Really great stuff that really helps you make sure you're aiming your life in the right direction 
purpose-driven life. I'm, the five points that I'm going to be talking about here in a few minutes are uh, summarized from the points that uh, Pastor Warren brings out from the Bible in this book. So um, the other nice thing about that book, uh, they've sold 32 million copies, so it's really easy to find used copies in bookstores and things. You can get it just about anywhere. So pick up a copy, uh, read that book. I highly recommend it. Okay, so here are the five biblical purposes as, uh, as he points out in the book. The first uh, biblical purpose is we bring glory to God by worshiping him. Now that certainly includes worshiping him in songs and we come together like we just did and we've been singing songs of worship to God. Um, uh, when we sing God's praises, that is worshiping him. And when we really mean the words that we are singing and our hearts are engaged in the song, God is glorified. And the worship that glorifies God the most is the worship in which we enjoy him the most. Not just when we really enjoy the guitar part or the drums in a particular song, but when we really... Uh, Feel the joy of worshiping our great and awesome God. That is the, the worship that God is glorified in. And that joy of worshiping God can be had in many other of life's activities, not just when we're singing songs of worship. And I think a great example of that is uh, Eric Little. He's the guy from the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, he was in a movie, but he's a real guy. Uh, he was an Olympic athlete from England back in the 1930s, um, won the gold medal in the 400 meters at the Olympics, and uh, here's what, he was also a, a devout Christian, he later went as a missionary to China. Here's what he said, he said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. You see, for Eric Little, running a race was a worshipful activity. He worshiped God by doing what God had made him to do and feeling the pleasure of God while he did it. And that's just a great example of the kinds of things that we can do as an act of worship. The Bible says, For whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The second way that we can bring uh, glory to God is by loving other people. Uh, because God is love, it is the core of his being, then the most important lesson that he wants you to learn on earth is how to love. The Bible says, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law... And by that he means all of God's requirements for us, the entirety of God's law, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, uh, in another place, put it like this. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that is to be the defining thing that we are recognized by. This is how people are supposed to be able to tell that we are followers of Jesus. We are to love one another. And when we show love for other people, it brings glory to God. 
God loves it when we are loving. That means that, of course, that we need to be in relationship with one another. We can't isolate ourselves. We need to be in close relationships where we can show love. Yeah, it is possible to show love to a stranger, uh, but only in a very limited sense, right? In order to really show love to people, you need to know them and be in, in contact with them and, and have a close relationship. The closer our relationships are, the more opportunity we have to show love. That's one of the purposes of our journey groups. Uh, when you're in a journey group, you get to know the people in those groups and you are able to then have those kind of relationships where it's possible to show love on a much deeper and more meaningful way. If you're not in a group yet, you can pick up a catalog back there, uh, get in your journey group. If you're in a group, look for opportunities to show love to the people in your group. The Bible says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I have... If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The third way that we can bring glory to God is by becoming more like Christ. That is, by growing in our spiritual maturity to become more like Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate human. He was a man who completely fulfilled what God intended for humanity. And the more like him we become, the more we bring glory to God. So the third purpose for your life is to grow to be more like Jesus. The Bible tells us, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith. Imitation really is the sincerest form of flattery, right? We bring glory to God when we seek to be like him. Of course, not by usurping his authority or by putting ourselves in his place, but by becoming living, righteous, and holy people. We are to be like God in character and in values, in having a heart that breaks for the things that break the heart of God, in being motivated by the things that motivate God. There are three main things that God uses to make us more like Jesus. He uses the Bible, which, of course, is, is full of uh, instruction and uh, correction and all kinds of things to help us grow in our faith. He uses other people, and he uses the circumstances of our lives. Other people very often can teach us and encourage us as we seek to grow. It's another good reason to be in a journey group. Be able to interact with these other people who can help you to grow in your faith. And, of course, the circumstances of our lives, the good times and especially the bad times, the hard times in our lives, mold us into maturity, building our faith. And if you want to know more about how God is working to transform our lives, I encourage you to get the Clearwater app on your phone and go back and listen or re-listen to the series of sermons we did a little while ago on the fruit of the Spirit. In that series, we talked about the, the nine different uh, character traits that God is working through the Holy Spirit to, to uh, build in your life. And if you want to know more about how God is building your life, go back and listen to those, uh, those messages from 
the Clearwater app. The fourth way that uh, we bring glory to God is by serving God and his kingdom. The Bible says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God made us so that we could accomplish good works that he planned for each of us to do. And when we do the things that he planned for us to do, that brings glory to God. And just to be clear, we are not saved by serving God and doing good works. We are saved so that we can serve God and do good works. See, sometimes people uh, think that they become part of a church or they become a Christian and they come here for the benefits they can get from the church. Right? What, 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 what can the church do for me? How can the church help me? Uh, but I uh, prefer to paraphrase uh, John F. Kennedy, who said, uh, And so, my fellow Christians, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Or Jesus said it even better when he taught this. He said, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Son of Man, that's Jesus' way of referring to himself. He's saying that Jesus himself did not come to be served. But you are going to come to church and so you can be served? No, the correct Christian attitude is to come as a servant and slave of all. And when we seek to serve God and to serve his church, doing things that he has given us both the calling and the gifting to do, we bring him glory. The apostle encourages us. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of of believers. John Wesley was a preacher in England. Uh, uh, some years uh, ago, he founded, uh, along with his brother, the Wesleyan Church Movement. Uh, but here's what John Wesley said, talking about this idea of doing good. He said, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places that you can at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Now that is the ideal Christian attitude towards service. Not that we will always live up to such an ideal, but this is what we want. We don't want to be half-hearted in our service. We want to do all the good that we can. When we see needs that we are able to meet, we need to do it. That is how we serve God and bring him glory. Jesus told a story about people who stood at the judgment and God told them, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And in Jesus' story, God replies, he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The fifth and final purpose that brings glory to God that I'm going to talk about this morning is to spread the message of salvation. This is the mission that Jesus gave his followers after his resurrection from the dead and just before he left to return to heaven, uh, he said this. He said to his disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus gave us the task of going all over the world and teaching all kinds of people to believe in him. Wherever we are, whoever we come into contact with, all people need to hear the message of the gospel and learn to be Jesus' disciples. The global nature of the mission, really, it's less about traveling all over the world and and getting on planes and things. It's more about not excluding anyone from hearing the message. Whether that person is living in India or Indiana, they need to hear the message about Jesus, and they need to be taught to obey his commands. In another place, the Bible puts it like this. It says, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has given us the message of reconciliation, and we are to implore people to be reconciled to God. We are God's ambassadors. That is a high position. We are God's representatives to a world that needs to be reconciled to God. We've been given that mission of serving God by bringing people his message. And, and the way it's worded here, we're not just to kind of put it out there, take it or leave it. Here's, here's some information about Jesus. We are to uh, implore people on Christ's behalf. We are to be as persuasive as we can be in persuading people to find salvation in Christ. And there are no greater joys in life than serving God to lead another person to find forgiveness for their sins and a new life in God. It's a great responsibility and a great honor. So those are the five purposes, the five ways that we can bring glory to God. And if you're filling those in on the back of your bulletin and you actually got all five of them before this last slide here, you win a free extra cup of coffee for, um, for getting them all. But here they are. Here they are. Uh, the five purposes. We bring glory to God by worshiping him. We bring glory to God by loving other people. We bring glory to God by becoming more like Christ, growing in our spiritual life. We, bec- we bring glory to God by serving God and others. And we bring glory to God by making disciples. So here's the question. Are you living according to these five purposes? 
Are any of these five noticeably absent from your life? Are you really living according to some other purpose that you made up? That the teacher from Ecclesiastes would say, that is meaningless, meaningless, chasing after the wind. God wants you to have a great life. Jesus came to give you life to the full. And living your life for the glory of God is the good life. Let's take another look at that statement from the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We glorify God when we enjoy him, when we find pleasure in fulfilling the five purposes. This is my uh, little bag of Fritos here. I sometimes enjoy a bag of Fritos. Here, a little snack sometimes, or maybe part of your lunch. You enjoy a nice little bag of Fritos. Um, but uh, uh, how much more would I enjoy a nice five-course gourmet meal prepared by a chef. Once I, uh, well, I, I ate a meal one time at the uh, Seven Glaciers restaurant on top of Mount Alyeska. Very, very nice. Uh, Ella and I got it to go up there for a uh, very special dinner on our honeymoon. And uh, that meal was better than a bag of Fritos. Um, why is the gourmet meal so much more enjoyable than the bag of Fritos? Well, because it's just so much more, so much greater, and a great, awesome thing like that can be enjoyed so much more than a simple little thing like this. And so that gives us a little bit of a picture of living life without God's purpose at the center of our lives versus living a life enjoying God. Just like the meal is greater than the chips, God is so much greater than anything else we try to live our life for. Anything else is not even in the same ballpark, not even in the category with God. Life lived according to God's purposes is the abundant life that Jesus gives. Back to the and, you know, uh, going back to the, the article from the, uh, from the Internet that I mentioned earlier, he went on to say, so since there is no purpose in life, just make up your own purpose. Everyone's free to just do whatever, you know, make up whatever they want. But, man, if you just make up your own purpose that really has no true significance and meaning, it's just whatever you make up, your life is a bag of Fritos. Um, you are living for a small purpose and a small pleasure. And we can have something so much greater. So I challenge you all to think about your life and think about where you are. Is your life ordered around the purposes of God? Are you living according to the purpose for which God made you? 
what, what adjustments do you need to make in your life to steer yourself a little closer to God's true purpose for you? Maybe your life needs to change a lot. Maybe you just need to tweak things a bit. But I challenge you to think about that and uh, live your life for the true meaning and purpose that God gives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for creating us and giving us such a great privilege of bringing you glory. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that task more and more, better and better, as we continue to to live for you. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.